Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the federal government presents its first budget since the election. If we increase the GDP, that curve is going to come down and fighting COVID was expensive. So my focus really growing Canada's economic capacity and potential. How much influence will the NDP have in the budget? I'm very concerned that the NDP will be pulling the Liberal government far to the left and in the process will leave millions of Canadians uh, struggling to get back into the middle class. And the Prime Minister says expelling Russian diplomats from Canada could lead to retaliation from Russia. We know that Russian diplomats in Canada are not being helpful. They are spreading disinformation. They're pushing pro-Putin propaganda in a time of conflict and war. We have to weigh the negative of that against the positive of having extraordinary Canadians in Moscow who are uh, giving us feedback on what the Russian people are doing, uh, connecting with civil society, understanding and supporting Canadians and others uh, who happen to be in Russia at this time. It's Thursday, April 7th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. Good morning, John. Morning, Mark. Here we are. It is budget day, and it's the first budget since the federal election in the fall, and also the first budget since the deal was struck with the NDP uh, to sustain this government. So how much of the budget do you think will be driven by the election platform that the Liberals ran on, and how much by the deal? Well, I think it will be a very political budget. You know, in the, in the last campaign, the government promised to spend somewhere around $76 billion over five or six years. Uh, since then, it struck this deal with the NDP to to bring in dental care for the under 12s in the first year, and then expand that uh, to make progress on uh, pharmacare, to do more on housing. You know, I think we can expect to see all of those things. I mean, it's pretty clear in Jagmeet Singh's comments that uh, he's been briefed on the budget, and all those things are in there. So we're going to see a raft of new spending. I think what will be interesting to see is how much more the spending is than than the new revenue. Now, the context to all of this is the economy is coming roaring back from from the pandemic. The fiscal update in December predicted a a deficit for the current fiscal year of $144 billion. Um, I saw an economist estimating it might actually be as low as $100 billion, and that's just new spending. But there will be new spending. And in fact, Scotiabank is predicting that uh, the spending will outpace the, uh, the the new revenues by somewhere around forty billion. So it's it's incredibly political. It's incredibly uh, high spending. There's going to be a lot of new social programs, and I think the worry for many economists is that while the Bank of Canada is tightening interest rates to try and control inflation. The government is working at odds to that by stimulating the economy, you know, spending more money, which on things like, let's assume that we're going to see something like a, a, a first home buyer's allowance or some kind of tax-free savings account for, for home buyers, which, which is uh, great for them, but it's not great for the economy at the moment. Yeah, and, and let's dig a little deeper into that. Um, we are hearing, of course, that there will be some measures um, that, that address the price of housing in Canada, um, including limits on, on foreign buyers and those kinds of things. Um, but 
But if at the same time you're making it easier for people to purchase their first home, that has the opposite effect, right? So, and I, I know as well that probably not too many governments are going to want to punish the Canadians, the many, many Canadians who have effectively won the housing lottery over the last few years because the value of their homes has gone up so much. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I think people of our generation can feel a great deal of uh, sympathy and empathy with people trying to get into the onto the first run of the housing ladder. But, you know, we've had, we've had uh, years and years of low interest rates and we've now got an overheating economy and the result is that that uh, inflation is running, if not out of control, certainly well above the two percent that the Bank of Canada would like to see it at. And uh, you know that's that's a problem for everyday Canadians who are trying to buy gas or trying to buy groceries, whatever. And so obviously, getting inflation under control is going to be a priority. Any of us that lived through the seventies know what high inflation does to to people's earnings. Uh, unfortunately for governments, inflation is a good thing, at least in the short run because it means that their revenues are higher. And what this government is doing is using that temporary burst in, in revenue to establish a whole bunch of new social programs that are going to run for years and years, presumably after after they've left power and after uh, uh, interest rates are at a much higher rate. So I do think it's, uh, it's you know, there are moral moral problems here on all sides, and I think it's slightly irresponsible of the government to... To, uh, to spend, spend, spend at, at the current moment. But, you know, this is the platform that we're elected on, and they chose not to bring in any of these measures in the fiscal update, which which also spent billions. Yeah. What about defense spending, John? We've been hearing for a little while now that this is that we are going to see an increase in that. What what do you expect? Well, I, I know that the CBC last night was reporting that they, they'll be somewhere around $8 billion on new defence spending, which sounds a lot, but in in uh, spread over a number of years, and um, it's it's not a huge increase. I think we would probably see our defence spending go from somewhere around 1.36 of GDP to 1.5. You know, there are problems if you put too much new money into the defence department; it just it can't cope. It's not like you can in- immediately go out and just buy off a lot whatever equipment you want. It, it requires. Uh, a very complicated procurement process, and it needs special people to manage that. They don't have those people, so it's uh, any increase in our military is a slow process. This is a start, at least. I'm glad to see it, and I think there will be some money for uh, for uh, lethal aid for Ukraine, which I think this government has been very slow to provide. Yeah, and we'll we'll come back to the situation in Ukraine in a moment. I just one last question about the budget. We're obviously not going to see any sort of drama around whether the budget's going to pass. Um, typically, the first budget after an election is is not, uh, we don't have that anyway, but we know the NDP is going to support this budget. Uh, so what do you think about some of the dynamics around that? How different are things going to play out today and in the days ahead because of this deal that was struck between the NDP and the Liberals? Well, it's, it's been kind of bizarre over the last few days. I, I wrote about this yesterday. Um you know, Jagmeet Singh stands up in the House and asks Justin Trudeau a question about the budget, uh, even though he revealed in his own press conference earlier that day that he'd been briefed on the budget, so he knew exactly what was in it. So it becomes a bit farcical. The idea that the opposition is going to hold the government to account, well, there's no way there's any NDP government is, trying, is going to hold the government to account. Even the, he was briefed to the extent that he was told there will be a, a 
tax credit on uh, for carbon capture for, for oil and gas, which the NDP doesn't agree with. And he stood up in the House on Wednesday and, and made a big deal about how he didn't agree with the Liberals on this. And yet he's already signalled he's going to this thing through for the next three years and support the government. You know, meanwhile, he just came out of his own caucus meeting where he briefed his own caucus on what was in the budget or what he'd been told in the budget. It won't be until later today when the Liberal caucus is told suit. So if you really want to know what's going on in Ottawa these days, ask the NDP because they know <laughs> well ahead of the uh, they know well ahead of the Liberal backbench. <laughs> that's yeah, that's interesting. All right. Uh, finally, John, uh, on the situation in Ukraine, uh, the Prime Minister was asked yesterday whether uh, Canada would expel Russian diplomats. He said no, because we could see retaliation from Russia. Uh, I know uh, this is a sensitive question, and, and every move is is similar. Uh, there, there's always the risk that uh, if if we take action, that, that Russia will respond. So what did you think about that and, and about the... The options that are left to Canada and its allies as they try to support Ukraine. Well, on the diplomats, I think it's not a terrible idea to have diplomatic representation in Russia. I mean, at some point, this thing is going to have to be negotiated, and it probably is a good idea to have those lines of communication open. I mean, I hope that we're um, keeping a very, very close eye on what uh, the Russians are doing here, because they are malevolent. They are clearly uh, agents of the Russian secret services, the, 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 the facade that they're diplomats is, is just ludicrous. So, yeah, I think we should keep a very close eye on them. But we've seen in past incidents uh, when, let's, for example, take the case of the, the airliner that was shot down in Iran. You know, we were trying to deal with that subsequently without diplomatic representation in Tehran, and it proved to be very difficult. And we had to go through other countries to do so. So there's always the... Um, this kind of repugnance about regimes like Iran and, and Russia, but I do think that being able to uh, to talk directly uh, is sometimes useful. Yeah. As far as what we, what else we should be doing, we should be doing more of everything, and, and that includes sending arms, including sending. And I wrote a piece of this this week: the Harpoon uh, missile we have sitting in storage that Zelensky has asked to send, which we are not apparently sending for some reason. Hmm. All right. It's going to be a big day in Ottawa. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, Mark. That's John Iveson of the National Post. For the last five budgets, our government has consistently increased uh, uh, investment in, in, in housing. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Heather Schofield considers what the federal budget will mean for affordable housing. Schofield writes... It's expected the budget will set in motion a plan to double the pace of housing construction by the end of the decade, slap a ban on foreigners buying Canadian homes, set up tax-free savings accounts for prospective first-time homebuyers, and put billions into affordable housing for low-income families. Will it all be enough? That depends on politics, the labour market, and the broader economy. We need a lot more critical thinking in the years to come about how we save how we live, and how we make all that work for every generation. At National News Watch, Joel Lexchin makes the case for Pharmacare to be included in the budget. He writes, As the financial and medical costs of coping with the pandemic keep going up, Pharmacare is more important than ever. 
A 2018 report commissioned by the Canadian Federation of Nurses Union estimated that the lack of affordability of prescription drugs could be causing hundreds of premature deaths per year in people with heart disease and diabetes. Thousands of Canadians go without basic needs, such as food, because of the cost of prescription drugs. It's high time to turn pharmacare from a dream into a reality. In the conversation, Christina Clark Kazak argues in favor of lowering the voting age. She writes, Some might argue that people under the age of 18 lack sufficient knowledge about policies and democracy to make informed decisions. However, many Canadian adults also lack basic civic literacy. Adult voters are not necessarily more informed about policy issues than young people when making political choices. Voting rights in Canada have changed over time to become more inclusive. Challenging age discrimination in Canada's election system could be the next step in expanding and strengthening our democracy. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. Of course, Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will present the federal budget. The Prime Minister will speak with the President of Argentina before chairing the Cabinet meeting and then attending the budget speech. Conservative leader Candace Bergen and Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchette will each hold news conferences to discuss the budget. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April the 7th. Tune into CPAC throughout the day today for full budget coverage. And for Primetime Politics tonight, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.